The Lord is risen. Man, good to be here with you today. Um, this is a really good day. It's a good day for several reasons. One, um, I'm getting to be up here today casual Nick, right? I've got my, I've got my Hoka tennis shoes on because I'm wearing a t-shirt. Now, this t-shirt has a purpose. The purpose of this t-shirt, this is actually, we had our summer youth retreat this weekend, and we have shirts made that usually have our theme. We usually have some kind of graphic, so you can see kind of the back. This is our theme verse, James 4, 7, right? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Uh, then we had shirts made, and I told the youth, we went with something kind of aggressive to kind of show how much we're fighting against Satan. So I don't know if you can see here, but this is a hand choking the throat of a snake, right? And, uh, you know, kind of grabbed you, right? Kind of meant to do that. And our theme, it was spiritual warfare, but we, our actual theme for our youth retreat, the idea was not today, Satan, not ever, right? And so, um, so basically, we preached, we taught, we had fun yesterday. Um, it was a great time. At the very end of service, during our announcement time, uh, some of our youth are going to come up and give you a, a general kind of overview of uh, real quick of the uh, weekend, but uh, this today kind of officially ends our weekend retreat, uh, so the way it worked is we all got together Friday night, then guys stayed at, at my house, the girls stayed at the Browns' house, and then we preached and prayed yesterday, and then had some fun, and then spent the night kind of separate houses, and we've just been together the whole entire weekend, so if you see this shirt, that's what it is, um, and it's a reminder that not today, Satan, not ever. Um, when you look at our retreat, our themes, our ideas, our messages, Friday night, uh, David Rose actually brought our message on the armor of God. You'll hear more about that. Then I did the Monday morning message uh, about the war within, and then Daniel did one about Satan's ultimate doom. Um, and so, um, so anyways, that's what we wanted to do it on with spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk more about that in the message here a little bit, because uh, I want to give you a piece of what we had this weekend. Uh, but before I do that, i got a couple other things i got to let you know about. Um, one is this. Um, by the way, can I just say this? Just off the top, I need to say this. We have a wonderful youth ministry in our church, right? Our church is blessed. We've got great youth workers. Um, a lot of energy gets put in through the years. Um, I'm, I am, um, I'm so pleased. I'm pleased yesterday with the level of teaching and doctrinal integrity uh, that our youth get. Uh, when we do these retreats, uh, it's, it's, they don't get a 10-minute devotional, right? I mean, it's a substantial time of teaching and instruction in God's Word, and they hang in there like champs. Um, so, so proud of them, so proud of our youth ministry. Uh, but let me tell you a couple other things going on. Uh, today, also a big day for us, uh, um, and if you're a guest, this is how the normal rhythm of our church, this is how we work. We do everything a normal church does as far as we preach, we pray, we sing, um, but at the end of service, what you'll notice is um, we'll then start to transform this auditorium with tables and chairs, and then our usual manner is we'll eat a meal together, um, and then we'll pass the mic to edify and build each other up, and then we take communion, right? We want every Sunday to be like a family reunion. So today we're going to do that normal kind of idea, but instead of our typical edify where we pass the mic, um, we want to do two things this morning, and especially if you're a member of Collierville Bible Church, or you just regularly come to Collierville Bible Church, or if you're a guest today, we'd love for you to please stay. Um, listen today, it's essential, especially if you're someone who 
regularly attends and is a member, you need to stay today. Here's the reason why. One, you'll get fed anyways, right? I made extra for more than my family of food today. Please let me share it with you. Please do not let us take this food home, right? But next thing is, um, we're going to give you a mid-year update of our budget, and I implore you, if you love this church, you need to know where we're at financially. Then number two, we're going to now unveil to you a plan to do a renovation on the inside of our church, much needed. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday who has been about two years uh, they, um, before they've, they've visited our church for in the past, and I was talking to them, and um, they said, uh, how, does your, how does the inside of the church look? It looked a little tired a couple years ago. It's like, well, it looks more tired now. So it's time. Um, we're going to share with you the process, the cost, what we plan to do, and we'll do as much as God provides is what we'll do, right? But it's super essential if you love Carville Bible Church that when we're done with the message and stuff, don't go out the back door. If there's any way providentially you can, we want you to be here so that you kind of know what's going on. You need to know what's going on financially in your church and what we want to do. Um, and I'll share with you more. What we're going to do on the inside, there is some hiring of this we're going to do, but then we're going to be putting our own hand to the work, right? So it's going to be a mixture, and it's all going to rely on God's people to come together. So I just want to tell you about that. If you're a guest with us, would you do this? I, please. We have more than enough food. We'd love to share with you. We eat a meal each week. Um, we always make extra just in case guests come, so you are invited to stay. It's a wonderful way to get to know a church body and get to know a people, um, but uh, once we dismiss the service part in here, this first part, then if it gives, if for guests, that's you know when you can make your way out. But once again, if you're a guest here today, please stay with us. We want you to um, fellowship with us. We want you to know what our church is like. Um, okay, now here's the last thing. Um, so Corey Beach has been doing our kids club ministry for a couple of years, and she's now working, going to start working on a PhD. Doesn't that sound fun to work on a PhD? Does that not? Wouldn't y'all be excited to do that? No, I don't see any takers with that one, but okay, okay, we love it. Actually, yeah, Daniel O'Malley, he's pretty close to having his PhD, right? So, but, um, so um, we now have a new director of our kids' club ministry. Our kids' club runs at 10 o'clock, and our kids' club is the elementary age, right? Um, And then we have some plans to kind of um, make that a little bit more robust in the future, running into the 9 o'clock hour. We'll tell you more about that as time goes on. Maybe we'll tell you a little bit. But once you give a hand, someone has boldly stepped forward to be our next Kids Club director, and that is Teresa Cash. I had a microphone, Should I use this but maybe you can use this. Or Yeah, that might be better. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. Teresa is now going to take over, and so she's got some wonderful plans, some vision, some goals, um, and so um, we're excited to have you. Teresa's worked in this ministry before, trained under Rochelle Fleming, and um, when she came to to me about this, she already had like, this is what I want to do, yeah. passion behind it, drive. She has a vision for it. I'm really excited, um, and so there's going to be a couple things she needs from us. Uh, going forward here and in the future, what are some things you need from us? But also tell us why you're excited, why God put this on your heart to take over that.
part of, of our no, ministry. I don't really know why, why God put it on my heart. Who knows what God does? He does what he wants. That's what I tell my kids. Um, but uh, I guess because, you know, Corey had to step back from that, and I do have experience and training in it. And um, last year I homeschooled Joseph, and so now I've, like, really just been on fire as far as that. We memorized scripture together. And it just reminded me of when I used to work in the children's ministry and how we spent, like he was saying with the youth group, learning doctrinal truth, things that would get them spiritually self-standing and for them to really understand portions of scripture and to be able to apply it to their lives and, you know, from childhood and going forward. And we would do lessons on a three to four year rotation. So as the children grew up, they would get these deep bodies of truth that they could carry with them into adulthood. And so they will be memorizing scripture. We will be having prayer time. Um, we're going to incorporate puppets and music and all of the things that we enjoy as an adult, except on an age-appropriate elementary school level. So when the things that I'm going to be needing will be people who are willing to help. We need, I want men and women. Traditionally, it's usually women who feel like they need to work with Sunday school, but the children need, especially our boy children, they need men mm, who amen. are willing like to teach them and model for them Christ, essentially. And mm. so we need men and women who are willing to come and help. And we need youth workers, guys, because y'all don't realize how much influence that you have on the younger children. Because, you know, we were talking in the women's class earlier today, perspective and time and relativity. And to them, you're like young adults. And you have an opportunity to really invest in their lives and to help them. And you can help. Believe me, you can help. So those are the things that I will be needing is people willing to help and youth leaders as well. All right. Thank you. And I fully expect that by the end of the day, you'll have every volunteer you need to help. Complete confidence in this, all right? All right, give her a hand. Thank you for taking on this challenge. Now, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids' club. So now you can be dismissed to the back. If you're a guest with us and you're a parent and you want to kind of walk your kids back the first time, a lot of times we just let release the kids. But if you want to, if you want to see where they're going so you know where to pick them up, you can kind of walk their, back there with them, and, um, and then you're ready to go, all right? Hey, let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in James chapter 4. We are taking a break from 2 Corinthians, of course, because we're going to share with you a little bit about spiritual warfare, about our retreat this weekend, about why we have this theme that you see in this really aggressive sign on my shirt, what it means to say, not today, Satan, not ever. How do we, how do we fight Satan today from James chapter 4? How do we fight this spiritual warfare? That's what we're going to look at today. James chapter 4 and verse 1 through 10. James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you murder. 
You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and cry. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We pray with this text. Today's a big day for us. Um, we, have, we have this long-awaited and often delayed just because of finances, really, uh, a renovation plan. We know you're in charge of it. We submit it to you. But, but I would say at this time, our biggest need is not our building or our carpet or anything of that na- nature. What really is in need is our own souls. There's a war, a war that we're often unaware of, a war on the inside that's made it to the outside. There's a war. There's a spiritual war that's going on. It's not only Satan, but it's also our own desires. Both of these are coming against us. May today we catch a fresh view of the cross. May we catch a fresh view that we delight in the law of God. We delight in the Lord after the inner man, after the changed heart that God has given us, the new heart. So let's capture spiritual warfare and understanding of it and of one element of it today in James chapter 4. We trust you. We love you. Let us glorify you. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so um, this message I'm preaching to you today, I preached this to the youth yesterday. I kind of have some things to modify, um, but but this is kind of the thrust of what I want you to get from this idea of not today, Satan. Um, First, I want to start off with this. I said something to the youth that they had no idea of because they weren't old enough at the time, right? They didn't know. But how many of y'all remember back in the day with McDonald's, there was something called supersize? How many of y'all remember supersizing, right? You remember that? Remember when you go through the McDonald's, you know, and then you'd order the combo meal, and they say that magical phrase, would you like to, what? Supersize it. Do you remember that? Now, you can today, I guess they don't call it, they don't say that, but you can make a meal larger, all right? But it's not supersized. Y'all remember that big, huge box of french fries you could get when you said supersize it. How many of you ever saw that? Uh, there was a documentary called Supersize Me. Do y'all remember back then? This, uh, I, I think that was a documentary that kind of put the nail in the coffin on the whole supersize thing. Uh, I was telling the youth about the guy who ate at McDonald's every single day. I believe it was for a month or two, and the guy's health just went into a train wreck, but the commitment of his documentary was every time he went through uh, McDonald's, and he did it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If they asked, would you like it to supersize it, which was the comp, which every, that was the training, he, you know, look at the camera and go, why, yes, right? And if y'all remember, his, his health just took a tank, you know, in that short period of time. And I believe McDonald's caught quite a bit of 
uh, negative publicity with that and, and th- thus went away with our supersizing, right? So uh, I told the youth, um, you know, I know you guys really miss things that, that we had back in the day. Like back in the day, we didn't care about calories. We just supersized it. And, and then we let our kids ride their bike freely about the city, and we didn't care, right? It was just it was a carefree time, free roaming and, um, you know, conscience-free upsizing of your meals, right? It was the good old days. So I told them, I said, here's what it looks like, um, the war that's going on, the spiritual battle. Now hang with me, but it, I think you might catch this. Intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with going through McDonald's, but let's just kind of, let's just kind of go to, if, as you get older, we do know it's probably not our best option, right? We all get this right. Or, is there anybody in here, you know, as you kind of grown older and kind of realize every, everything you do has a consequence, do you not feel like sometimes when you go through McDonald's or any fast food place for that fact, you're thinking, man, this can't be good for my health. Like, this cannot be a good thing, Right? So I tried to parallel it to the youth this weekend. I think it's a great parallel for us. When there's a, there's a spiritual warfare going on, that spiritual warfare is inward and outward, right? It's, involves an element, it involves the element of our own desires, but also Satan tempts as well. We don't want to subtract Satan from the spiritual warfare, but we also don't want to give him all the credit. There is a war. The war starts within with us, but there is a part that Satan plays, and what what I want to illustrate it with the whole McDonald's and supersizing is kind of like this. You and I decide to drive through and order a meal from a clown, right? Which intrinsically, I don't know if that's the best idea in the world, but that's us. We're the ones that decided to do that. We made the decision. We decided we wanted that nice number three combo meal from McDonald's. Amen? That was us. That was us. We did it. And I paralleled that, and I would parallel to us this idea that when it comes to sin, this first aspect of spiritual warfare, we're the one that decides to do it. We're the one that goes through and orders the number three combo meal, right? Look, I'm just going to ruin the number three combo meal for you today, right? We're the ones that go through and order. We're the one that places the order. Satan doesn't make us sin. We sin ourselves, and we do it of our own decision, of our own will. That's where it starts. It's just like going and deciding to go through a McDonald's drive-thru. We decide to do it because we want to do it, and we order the meal because we want to order the meal. We made the decision. Now, where does Satan come in? Well, I'll tell you where he comes in. Once we order the number three, Satan is a wonderful observer, right? He's a wonderful observer. And Satan kind of pulls up to us once we order the number three, and he says, Would you like to supersize that? Would you like to make that just a little bit bigger? Hey, that medium fry is tasty, but wouldn't it be really tasty if we kind of pounded on about another 500 calories to it? You know you'd like it. You know you want to. Hey, that drink's not big enough. That won't even get you down the road. You know they're going to fill that thing full of ice. Why don't you go ahead and get the bigger one? You know, it'll take you through the rest of the day. In fact, you'll probably save some money in the end. Just a couple more bucks and you could just go through the rest of the day. You won't even have to eat dinner. So how does temptation work? Am I running McDonald's for you guys? It'd probably be good for us anyways to do that. <laughs> By the way, my kids love McDonald's, right? They love McDonald's. Um, I used to love McDonald's. I don't know if McDonald's quality has gotten worse or maybe my palate has gotten more developed. I'm not really sure. But you make, we make the decision to make the order. Satan comes up and says, let's go a little bit further with it. 
How does spiritual warfare work? That's kind of, if I can give an earthly illustration, that something I think we just understand because we order so much of, we, we do so much food in our life through ordering through a box. That's how it kind of works. We make the order, Satan watches and says, let's go a little bit bigger with it. When we look in James chapter 4, that's kind of the element that we're seeing. We first see there's this inward battle that takes place. And that inward battle will eventually make itself externally. And Satan is a wonderful observer. And Satan pulls up next to us once we've bitten into sin and wants to take us a little bit further. There's a popular saying, you probably heard it, that sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer then you're willing to stay. And that's what happens. Spiritual warfare is warfare that goes on in our own soul and the warfare that Satan comes after us. We don't want to give Satan too much credit, but we also don't want to minimize that he is your adversary. He hates you. He wants to drag you down with him. Satan is not... A lot of people think that Satan is some champion of hell, that it's his kind of playground. Hell is his destruction and his doom. And what he wants to do is he wants to take you with him. He wants you to sin against God. Many people portray the devil as just some kind of cartoon character that walks around with a pitchfork and likes to tell jokes. But no, he's a real enemy. He's a real adversary. What sa- the, the word Satan even tells you he is your enemy. He is your adversary. And what Satan wants most is to get you and I to not only trust him as Savior, but also for those of you who are in Christ, he wants us to morally sin against God. He wants us to rebel against God's commandments. He wants us to choose our own way. He wants us to not only give in to our sinful flesh, but he doesn't make us do that, but he is watching us. And he wants us to, he, he watches when we give in and says, why don't we go a little bit bigger with that? Why don't we, why don't we get a little bit more of it? So let's look at how we fight this war. If you're taking notes today, um, I've got five points. Point number one is this, the war within, the war within. When there's spiritual warfare, there's first, we've got to recognize there is a war on the inside. Now I'm going to tell you, Satan does not, for the follower of Christ, the follower of Christ, Satan is not implanting sin into you. He does not make you sin. He does not control your thoughts. He does not control you. If you're in Christ, you cannot be demon-possessed. Now, if you're not in Christ, there's a big discussion we need to have. You can, you can, be, you can actually be possessed as an, as an unbeliever. There is a lot of control in your life. However, I will tell you this on a flat surface, and this isn't an exorcism or demonic possession kind of message, but I will tell you this. I've run across demon-possessed people, and this is how a person gets rid of demon-possession. They repent of their sin, place their faith in Christ, bow the knee to him as Lord through the Holy Spirit, drawing them. And I have seen people come out of demon possession because they have come to Christ. That's how you get delivered from it. But back into the the phrase of this, the, the idea of this message, the war starts on the inside. Satan doesn't make us sin. We sin all by ourselves. And look in verse one. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Notice chapter 4, verse 1. He talks about quarrels and conflicts, wars and battles. What what is happening among you? By the way, do you ever see this in households? You see this in churches? You see this in jobs? He's you ever notice, like, why do we have so many disagreements in the communities of where we're at in life? 
What is the source of these quarrels and conflicts? Why do people fight? Why is there combative relationships? You, have you ever been in a combative relationship with family, friends, at work, somewhere else? Ever been in a combative relationship? What, where does this start? Where do these quarrels and conflicts happen? Well, great question. Look at the end of verse 1. Is not the source your, what does it say, church? Pleasures. It's your pleasures that wage war in your members. That word pleasures comes from the Greek word hedon. It's where we get the word hedonism. It's an inward word. It's this idea of, of the reason there's quarrels and fights is because inwardly I want what I want. Why do we argue with our wife? I mean, I don't, but you may, right? Why do we argue with our husband? Why do we argue with others? Why is there wars? Because there's on the inside, we are wanting what we want. We want everybody to fall in line and serve us and make us a functional God of life. That's what we want. The war is within us. So he says, the war is on the inside, is not the source of your pleasures that war in your members. The greatest problem in life is not your mom, your dad, your spouse. The problem is you. The problem is us. The problem is our own lack of repentance on the inside. Now, he goes a little bit further in verse 2 and 3 and helps us to understand this war that is within us. If you look in chapter 2, in verse, I'm sorry, it, chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, You lust and do not have, so you what? Notice this, that word lust, it's a Greek word epithemia. It's another inward word. That word epithemia is a word of desire, and it basically is saying this, you lust or you desire. There's something you want, and you want it so bad that you can't have it, you end up murdering. It is the relationship is so combative, and this person won't bow to your will, to your desires. You'll keep pressing it so much that it turns into murder. Now, I know most of us are thinking, whoa, that's kind of extreme. I would never murder anybody. Well, you pull up to the drive-thru, and you order the number three, and you order the number three for every single meal, at some point, Satan notices there's a habit, and at some point, Satan goes, you know that number three by itself is not satisfying you, right? You know you're looking for some kind of pleasure and joy, some kind of hedonism. It's not getting it. Why don't you upsize that baby? Why don't you, why don't you go a little bit bigger with it? It'll, it, it? it'll give more satisfaction. So this is, how, this is how Satan works. It starts on the inside with our own lust, our own desires. By the way, in the Bible, the word epithemia, the Greek word epithemia that's used for lust right there, the translators, depending on the context, the, the translators sometimes, when that word is talking about something good, the object is good, they'll use the word like desire. When the object is bad, they'll use the word like lust. But it's a worship word. Whatever you epithemia is what you go after. Like what we actually should do is epithemia, desire God even more. Make as he is the treasure and the pleasure of life, right? How do you fight sin? You don't fight sin by just saying no to sin. You fight sin by not only saying no, but saying yes to God. When he becomes the pleasure, the treasure, when he becomes the true desire of your soul on the inside, then you don't murder, you actually give and serve. So he says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, we see this idea that the war, the spiritual warfare, it begins on the inside. The pleasures, the lust on the inside. That drives us to murder. And not only that, look at uh, chapter 2. I'm sorry, look at verse 2. He says this, you are envious. It's the Greek word zelu. It's another inward perspective word. And you, you are envious on the inside. Or you could say a sinful jealousy. And you cannot obtain, 
so you fight and you quarrel. You war to get it. Have you ever noticed in an argument, which none of us have ever argued, I get it. Have you ever noticed in an argument that a lot of times we keep raising our voice, hoping that if I raise my voice, they'll just eventually kind of get the emphasis of what I want, and they'll shut up and they'll agree with me and say, you're right. Do we all know what that's like, right? I know we don't know what that's like. I get it, right? What's happening, though? There's already something going on within. We're already, we, already, we already have this self-seeking, selfish, self-idolatrous jealousy that we want what we want, and until, you, until someone bows down to us, we will fight and quarrel. It starts on the inside. It starts from within. Not only that, but he says this. Keep looking at verse 2. This is interesting. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, isn't that great? I like that. Like, okay, I don't have. If, if there's something I'm wanting, Lord, let me just ask. And it's just going to happen. But notice what happens in verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong, what does it say? Motives. Another inward perspective word. So he says, you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That word pleasures is the word hedon. It's the same word we get for hedonism. So here's how messed up, here's how spiritual warfare even works. On the inside, out of our own desires to exalt ourselves, to get what we want, instead of exalting God, from the inside we desire what we want and it makes its way from the inside to the outside. The externals always reveal what's going on internally. That's why the biggest problem in life is not on the outside. It first is what's on the inside, but what happens on the inside will make its way to the outside. You can see the fruit of what happens when there is an unrepentant heart. Now notice what happens. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, which he's in verse 2, he's just saying, hey, you're less than you're envious and you fight and quarrel to get what you want in these relationships. And these, these relationships have now turned combative because of your own sinful desires you know what? Why don't you just ask? Why don't you just ask for what you want? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Wouldn't that solve a lot of our arguments? But no, look at verse 3 again. He'll say this. But you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your pleasures. The inward battle within can go so bad that even our praying is off. Even our praying is off. This is how we really know the warfare on the inside is looking wrong. Because when our desires are messed up, even the way we pray is messed up. Now, I'm not discouraging you from praying. We should pray. But let me just let's take an inward inventory. Do most of our prayers reflect around the glory of God and the good of others? Or do our prayers reflect around this idea of, God, I cannot make it today if this person does this, if this person does this, if this person does that. It's a reflection of the text of there's a war on the inside. He says, you you, you ask and you do not receive because, I won't, because if you got what you wanted, you would spend it on your pleasures. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write down and look this up later. If you, first John 5.14 reveals that if we are obeying the Lord and we're walking with the Lord, that whatever request we make, the Lord would grant it, but he would grant that because we'd only be asking things according to his will. But in this text, what it's pointing out is oh, the war on the inside, we often are just asking for our own pleasures. We just want what we want for our own self, for our, our own pride. The lust and the envy and the wrong motives, all inwardly. The war begins within. It isn't Satan that causes it. It isn't other people. It's the 
war within us. So point number one, the war begins within. Point number two, and this is a short point because I kind of already indicated, if you're writing notes, point number two is this. The results of the war within will show itself outwardly. The results of the war within will show itself outwardly. Now, I've already read verses 1, 2, and 3, and you already see what happens with lust, it turns into murder. What happens with envy, it turns into wars. What happens with asking for things just according to your own sinful desires and not the glory of God and His agenda, we start to ask things with wrong motives so we can just spend it on our own pleasures. So it just tells you that whatever happens inwardly makes its way outwardly. You have the root and you have the fruit. The fruit is a result of what's going on at the root. Now, let me show you something. Hold your place in chapter 4 and look in James chapter 1. Are you guys doing okay? Are you okay? Y'all okay? Y'all still alive? You still awake? You doing good? If you're not, Jason made some good coffee this morning, right? It's okay. We are pro-coffee here. If you're addicted to caffeine, God will forgive you. Just keep going, all right? So, just kidding. That's, oh, you caught me. That's wrong. Maybe that reveals my heart, right? Oh, man, I'm depending on caffeine. See, now even i got to repent. Thanks a lot, everybody. <laughs> Look at chapter 1 of James, verse 13 through 15. Reemphasizes this idea of the war within and how it makes its way out. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by who? God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. You may be tested by God, but you are not tempted to sin by God, right? Now he says in verse 14, so key, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's that word epithemia. That's that inward desire word. Listen, Satan does not make a sin. The warfare, the spiritual warfare, starts on the inside. He's saying that we, we are the ones that pull through the drive-through. We are the one that opens, that orders the number three. And then watch what happens. Once our own desires have come to temptation, verse 15, and then when lust has conceived, when lust has, has now has a baby, eventually that baby is going to give birth. And it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully matured, it brings forth, what does it say? All sin brings forth death. The first sin in the garden, it brought forth spiritual death and eventually physical death. All sin brings forth death. Ultimately, what Satan wants to do is bring forth death. Death on the inside, death on the outside. That's what Satan wants to do. Now, I'm, now where does Satan enter in in this kind of scenario? I would say this. When you look in chapter four, verse 14 of James 1... That's us. That's the war within. Then you look in verse 15. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now somewhere after giving birth to sin, and when sin it is fully matured, brings forth death. Somewhere in this process of and when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. Somewhere in that back process is where Satan pulls up and says, Huh, I notice you've been ordering that number three. Let's, let's go ahead and upsize that baby. You know, Let's go ahead and make it a little bit bigger. It will satisfy you so much more. And how far will he go to get you to upsize it? What does the very end of it say? Death. He'll kill your marriage. He'll kill your relationship with everyone around you. He wants death. He wants to kill you. He wants you to sin against God, 
that such a way you bring glory to yourself and distract the glory from him. Eventually, he wants you to bring you down to spiritual death, and he wants you to bring down to, to going out of this world in a way that does not look like it brings glory to God. That's what he wants. So there's a war within that will make itself without. Go back to James chapter 4. Don't you see this in verse 1 through 3? The lust results in murder. The envy results in quarrels. The asking for your, the wrong, wrong motives really just makes your prayers really all about your pleasure and not God's pleasure. If you ever think like, man, Lord, I just don't know how to pray. Or, man, Nick, I just have a hard time praying. If we're giving into sin in our own hearts, it will be the hardest thing in life will be to pray. The hardest thing will be to pray. There's nothing like daily coming to the Lord and in light of the cross and the forgiveness we have, repenting of our sin, looking at sin His way, thanking Him, confessing it, thanking Him for the forgiveness of it. It drives our prayers in a direction where what we pray is for His glory. What we pray is for His will. What we pray for is His kingdom, not our own kingdom. Have you ever noticed that many of our prayers are really just wrapped around our own kingdom? So point number one is the war begins within. Point number two is the results of the war within will show itself outwardly. It shows itself outwardly. It makes its way. It gives full birth. It results eventually into death. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and it will keep you longer than you are willing to stay. Now look at verse 4. Here's point number 3. Losing the war within puts you as an enemy of God. You lose the war within, it'll make it to the outside, and then it puts us as an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Now, I want to make a, a, um, a kind of understanding when you read the commentators and those who've preached this message for longer than I've been alive there's a lot of debate that some think that, that what James is talking about to is only unbelievers because only an unbeliever could be an enemy of God. And I would say this, there's some truth to that, but also I would say this, as a follower of Jesus, if you get far enough away from him, you can start to act like an enemy of God. Like for instance, in, James, in Matthew 18, if someone is unforgiving towards others, God says, if you're unforgiving to others, I will not, what? Forgive you. Because you're becoming an enemy of God, that doesn't mean God's taking away your salvation. It means that in your family relationship with God, things are getting distant. So can a Christian be an enemy of God and act like an enemy of God? Absolutely. Can an unbeliever act like an enemy of God? You are already an enemy of God. In fact, if you're not saved today, if you've not bowed the knee to Jesus, please, before it's too late, friend, I implore you, do that. Follow him in believer's baptism. And, and why? Because without Christ, you are an enemy of God. The worst position to be in life is an enemy of God. But for God's people, when we don't fight the war within, we, it makes its way to the outside. And then we'll start to put ourselves, even as God's people, in a position of being the enemy of God. Look in verse 4. You adulteresses. This is the female version of adultery. I think this is one of the reasons this is even applicable to the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, right? You adulteresses, church. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? What is friendship with the world? Well, we at least know it's verses 1 through 3, isn't it? What is friendship with the world? Lusting after the world, giving in to the world's desires, envying, creating wars, asking for what you want to consume on your own pleasures. Of course, if you looked at the totality of Scripture, it would be not walking in God's commands. That would be putting ourselves as a um, hostility towards God. 
It says, therefore, ever who wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Notice at the end of, in the middle of verse 4, therefore, whoever, what does it say? Wishes. Does that sound like something internal or external? Internal. Internal. You know what's interesting? What, what happens on the inside makes its way to the outside. And when does a person become an enemy of God? Where does it start? It starts in the wishes. Once again, it's an inward thing, right? It's a worship thing. So he says this, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? What do we see here? Once again, we see the internal and the external. But I think what's striking to my soul in verse 4, look at it. You adulteresses. The most heinous sin. Now listen, all sin is bad. All sin is, is, is condemnable. All sin is a violation of God's holy standard. And thank the Lord that I have Jesus who covers my sin. But one of the from an earthly perspective, the most heinous and disloyal sin that could, that could happen to any of us here is if you are in the covenant of marriage and your spouse has sexual relations or flirts or has an emotional connection or some kind of online connection, something that in the world of adultery is the most heinous sin from an earthly level that could ever probably happen to you. If you're married and that were to happen, you would know that that would probably be one of the most treacherous, disloyal things ever. Correct? Correct? Because the covenant of marriage is such a loyal bond, a one flesh perspective, because it models ultimately the one flesh bond that we have between Christ and the church. It is one of those sins that, that marriage is so permanent, but we see Jesus talking in Matthew, this idea of if someone commits adultery, and it really has the idea of an unrepentant adultery, right? That that is grounds. There is a biblical justification for grounds for adultery. It's such a disloyal and heinous sin. One of the worst things, if you're married, you know this, one of the probably most treacherous sins that could ever happen between you and your spouse is an affair, is adultery. That would just cut to the heart and would probably challenge you in ways you've never been challenged in life. Now let me ask ourselves this question. Are we having an affair with the Lord, against the Lord? Are we cheating on the Lord? That's what he's saying in it. He's saying when we are a friend of the world and we are wishing to be a friend of the world, it's so bad that we're actually committing adultery against the Lord. We are acting in the most treacherous manner. And now, remember, in the text, if we're just looking in the text, we see verse 1 through 3, when we are fulfilling our own selfish ends and lusts, not fighting the war within. I mean, that makes us an enemy of God. But if you're taking the totality of scriptures, it struck me this week is asking this question, am I an adulteress? Am I in an affair with the world? Do I love the world? Do I love its system? Do I love its pleasures? Do I love the unforgiveness and the bitterness that's so easy to nurse? Do I, do I love it? If we do, we are... We are in an affair with the world, and, we are in and God is in hostility to us. Are we disloyal to the Lord? Are we? Now look at the next verse, 5 through 6. So point number 4 is this. God is jealous to move us back from being an enemy to, from being enemy to being a friend. God is jealous to move us back 
to a right position, from being an enemy to being a friend. Look in verse 5 through 6. God's grace saved me at 16, church, but also he is, his grace is continuing to come after me. Is continuing to draw me to himself in this spiritual warfare. Look in verse 5. Or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. If you want to have a lengthier conversation, there's some debate about how that's translated through different translations. But we see this idea that we belong to the Lord. And when we belong to the Lord, he, he is not okay with sharing us. For instance, as a, as a man with a wife, Cindy and I have been married 22 years. If another man were to come up and flirt with my wife in a way that only I meant to flirt with her, and I just said, well, you know, it's okay. And then I said, you know, guys, I love my wife. Would you think that's a true statement? No, you should question the love for my wife. In fact, because I love her, that dude and I are going to have some problems. This is the way the Lord is with us. He does not share us. We think that he's okay with adulterating from him. We think he's okay with us having an affair with the world. He is not okay with it. In fact, he is holy and righteous, and he is jealous with a godly jealousy. And because he loves us, he will come after us. And because he loves us, he will not let us continue in such rebellion. He will discipline us in such a way to conform us back to his image. He's jealous for us. David Crowder has a song that says he is, and one phrase in a song that says, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am the tree. Have you ever seen a hurricane bend a tree, right? Where it, you know, the hurricane bends everything to its will. I love that vision of God is so jealous for me that he will bend me like a tree in a hurricane and put me back in his will because he does not suffer me to cheat on him. He does not let me have an affair with the world. He will align me back. His grace will go that far. Verse 6, he gives greater grace. He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the greater grace he gives is to those that are humble. We see in verse 6 clearly, but I will say there's an aspect of this that God will not let you walk in your pride. God, if you belong to Jesus, he will come after you and he will conform you to his image. He will not leave you in your pride if you belong to him. By the way, if you're not in Christ, this is a great text as well because there's only one way to get out of pride and that's through Jesus, right? It's just you've got to bow the knee to him, I'm telling you. You can't put this off any longer, friend. So he says in verse 6, he gives greater grace to those that are humble. And I will tell you this, I, I, I fully believe when we read the totality of Scripture that God's grace that saves us, we see in Titus 1, is the grace that sustains us and drives us to him. God will not leave you in your pride if you belong to him. He will come after you. He will discipline you to bring you back to his image. So we see in verse 5 and 6 this idea that God is jealous to move us back. When we have not fought the war within, we have supersized it, and it, as it's making its way externally, God will, God, we're now an enemy of God, God will drive us back to himself. He is jealous for us. And as God is so jealous for us that he gives us a template of what to do. Look in verse 7, eight, 7 and 8. So here's how he moves us back. He provides a war strategy. 
a war strategy. Hey, listen, friends, we're in a war. Whether you, we realize it or not, we're all in a war. You may, you may not like to be in a war, but you're in a war, right? There's no Switzerland here, okay? We don't get to be that. We are in a war. There's a war going on inside, and there is a war going on outside, and we are losing it a lot of times, and we think it's just kind of a, a light thing. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you, friends, it does matter. Now, if you like to watch movies, <laughs> I don't like to talk about things to watch sometimes because you'll go watch it and go like, Nick, like I can't believe you suggested this movie. So I, I can't just unequivocally tell you to watch every movie, you know. But there is a movie that came out a couple months ago called Nefarious, right? Nefarious. Um, I would encourage you, not with your kids, all right, um, and you just got to be ready. It's, it's, it's a little graphic here, not like in a sinful wrong way, but it's, it's aggressive. It's kind of like this shirt. You see how offensive this shirt kind of is? It's kind of like this, but the movie is about a man who is an unbeliever who is demon-possessed, and the basic gist is this man has given himself over and over in small ways through life to Satan to the point that Satan has control of him as an unbeliever and is doing his bidding. Now, I warn you, it has a lot of false biblical premises in it that are built for from a Catholic theology, right? But there is something that I got from this movie that was a great reminder, that there is a battle going on, and most of us have become so sophisticated in our thinking, we don't think there's really a spiritual war going on around us, and there is. So he says this in verse 7 through 9. Here's your war strategy, because there is a war going on. Verse 7. This is our theme verse for our retreat. Hey, by the way, y'all doing okay? Y'all hanging in? You good? You sure? Okay. Verse 7. I know. And by the way, what I'm about to read for you, I want you to hold your breath. This is going to be shocking, all right? So the war strategy is not walking into your house and yelling out, Satan, I bind you, leave, all right? Here's the strategy. Submit to God. That's your strategy, right? Submit to God. Obey God. From, a, from, from an inward perspective, because I delight in him, because I, desi- I desire him, and submit to him, not to what I want, to what the Lord wants. By the way, you'll, you'll never, we'll never be able to submit to God if the only time we pick this thing up is on a Sunday morning or we even think about it as a Sunday morning. We'll never be able to submit without the word. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, does anybody remember what he kept doing every time Satan kept tempting him? What was Jesus doing in return? Quoting scripture. Every time Satan tried to supersize him, right? Every time Satan tried to tempt him, except, of course, in that situation, Jesus never was sinning. Resist, you, we submit to God, be subject, therefore, to God. Are we submissive to God? Do we submit to God? That's an ugly word in our culture. It's not really ugly in scriptures. Do we submit to him? Do we pull under rank with him? This word, be subject, submit, it's a military term. If you've been in the military, you know what this means. It is this unequivocal obedience. By the way, we don't practice submission to God until we deal with delighting in God. Until we deal with the epithemia, the inside. Until we desire him. We don't just obey him because we want to. We obey him because we desire him. Years ago, John Piper had this uh, saying, and it really shocked Christians to say this word, but he promoted this idea of called Christian hedonism, right? Christian hedonism. What is it? Okay, so a hedonist, and we saw this in the text in verse 1 through 3, a hedonist is someone who 
all of, their, all of life is lived for their pleasure. That's a hedonist, right? It's where unrestrained, doesn't matter who gets in your way, doesn't matter, I'm going to go after my pleasures. That's a hedonist. Here's what a Christian hedonist is. That everything I do is about bringing pleasure to God. And, I, and nothing's getting in my way. In fact, the more pleasure I bring to God, the greater I actually enjoy God. And the greater pleasure I bring to God, the more I'll be able to say no to sin and yes to God. There's a story that is said about uh, John Wesley when he went to college that he asked his mom, give me a list of sins, right, so that I don't get into sin, right? I'm leaving home, give me a list of sins so I don't get into any of those sins. Now, what's interesting is mom's reply did not grant that request. When his mom wrote him back, her basic reply and gist was, I'm not going to give you a list of sins to avoid, but whatever draws you to God, whatever takes joy and pleasure in him, do that and you'll resist sin. See, we're so sinful that if someone were to give us a list of don't do this, don't do this, don't do these sins, and you'll love God, what do you think we'll do? We'll find the one thing that wasn't put on it and go like, well, this must be okay. So his mom did something that was this idea of Christian hedonism. Whatever brings God pleasure, whatever pleases God, do more of that, and then you won't get into sin. That's why verse 7 says this, Be subject, therefore, to God. Now watch what happens. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? So you want to put your hand around the snake's throat? By the way, his head's already been bashed in by the work of the cross, right? He's a doomed enemy. He's a toothless monster. But he still has a modicum of ability and space to still tempt today. But he's a defeated foe. He's not as powerful as we think. And when do we put the hand around Satan? When do we say, Satan, not today, not ever? It's when we take our life and from a heart, from an inward to an outer, submit ourselves to God. It says that when that happens... We resist the devil. We make our stand, and he will flee from you. By the way, when he flees from you, it's not forever. He'll come back for another time. If you read Luke chapter 4's verse, uh, passage of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, it says at the end that Satan left him till another time, right? Satan always likes to make a follow-up call, right? He believes in that kind of stuff. But if we keep submitting ourselves to God when Satan returns, and he sees that there's a submission to God, he's only one place at one time. He, there's only so much that Satan and his demons will, will, will have time in the moment. They'll move on for a moment. Now, don't worry. They're going to come back around. But, but it makes it a lot harder on them when there's someone who's submissive to God. How do we put our, put our, put our um, how do we kind of make this shirt be revealed in our life? How do we put our hand around the throat of Satan and say, not today, by submitting to God? Look at verse 8. He says this, draw near to God and he will do what? Draw near to you. Now, I will tell you, for an unbeliever, that's a great thing to say today. If God is drawing you to him, to himself, you know it because he's telling you this right now. You're not hearing an audible voice, but you're hearing, like, man, today's the day. Today's the day to repent. But for us in Christ, draw near to God. He draws near to you. This is how you fight. He he gives you verse 7, then he starts to layer it up a little bit more in verse 8 to understand some of the workings of it. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. This is how we repent. This is how we fight the war. Now look in verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. You double-minded. What's interesting in the text? The war, 
we submit to God, the devil will flee. We draw near to God. He draws near to us, but that's not enough. We also have to work in this idea of our hands and heart. There needs to be some changes in our life from an inward and an outward perspective, which means this. God, is, God does not want you just on the inside making changes, but he wants changes on the outside. He wants the heart and he wants the hands. You know what's interesting? These, are two, these things are tied together. If there's a change in the heart, there starts to be a change in the hands. And when there's some change in the hands, it actually influences the heart. Have you ever, have you ever done something for God that you didn't want to do, right? You, I mean, has anybody ever done something for God they didn't want to do, but they just did it because it was the right thing to do? You just kind of like, well, I'm going to do this, right? Has that ever happened? And then after you did it on the back end, it was almost this pleasure was in your soul in the moment where you're just like, man, I'm just so glad I was going to stay home. Like, I'm, I'm so glad I did this. What is that? There is a connection between the hand and the heart. If we're going to keep fighting this war. It starts at the desire level. But there's got to be this hand and heart. If our whole life is just lived with no service, no sacrifice for those on the outside, no new habits on the outside, it doesn't help to fight the inward. And the motivation of the inward is what actually makes its way to the outward. It's not just enough to be pious and go like, I love God. That love for God will always translate into a love for others. It'll translate from, I glorify God, and then I do good and love others. So he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, purify, I'm sorry, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Now, let's look at the end of verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. It says this, you what? You what? Anybody ever been there before? Ever, you know what a double-minded person is? It's a person that goes, this is what I want to do, but ooh, I, I pull away. Oh, man, this is... You ever been there? Wanted to do something for God, but you just, you were double-minded? You just kept going back? It was a back and forth, back and forth? Well, what's the war strategy? I think this. I don't think we take repentance serious enough in our churches, in our life. You ever notice? Go listen to the public Christian broadcasting, right? To all the new songs that get put out on a daily kind of, on a daily kind of regimen. And how many of those actually talk about repentance and mourning and considering your sin you ever hear much of that? So what happens when you're double-minded? You, you keep going back and forth. Well, we've given you some war strategy, but there may be a time that you need to take a pause, and before you claim the forgiveness that God gives you in that moment, you might need to take a, a moment and see that sin as God sees it, right? Because we're double-minded people. So look what he says to do in verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and cry. It's okay to do that over sin. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Take your sin serious. Take it serious. Okay? A lot of times our repentance is a worldly penance, a rarely repentance. I don't need your help. <laughs> she heard her name, I guess. I don't need her help. I need God's help, man. So he says this. This is what happens. We sometimes move on too fast. When's the last time we actually sat in our rebellion, looked at it from God's perspective, so we can value the cross, can see the, see the wretchedness of our own sin, and then be driven back to Him? Be miserable, mourn, cry. 
but your laughter will be turned to mourning, your joy into gloom. The spiritual warfare, I, one of the reasons we don't fight good spiritual warfare is we don't actually take our sins serious. Yes, he forgives, but we run to the forgiveness faster than what we sometimes actually take an inventory of God's perspective of that sin. When's the last time we got into sin and said, before I claim God's forgiveness, which he does through the work of the cross, don't get me wrong, but how many times have we stopped and said, you know what I'm going to do? I don't know if I see this from God's perspective. So I'm going to take the scriptures and search and try to see what the scriptures say about this sin from God's perspective so that my soul has a full orb reality so that I'm not double-minded, so that I, the heart and hand have a change, so that I'm submitting to God so I can resist the devil. Y'all see this? Now let's end with verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will lift you up. God exalts what is humble. The ultimate sign of that is the cross, right? God has exalted Jesus because he did the ultimate of humility. He died on the cross in our place. The way up is the way down. The way up is to make much of God in your heart, which leads to the outward. All of life is about the glory of God and the good of others, not our glory and what others can do for us. When our life is about our glory and what others can do for us, we exalt ourselves, and God will humble that and discipline that. But the opposite is this. When it's about the glory of God and loving for others, then there's this exaltation that God does. And that exaltation, don't be careful what you think that is, but I will tell you this. It's a joy-filled, spirit-filled, fighting warfare well. And it is a life where you're putting your hand around the neck of Satan and you're saying, not today, Satan. Would you stand with me? We're going to just sing a song and try to let what we've learned in the Word today kind of hit our soul. And then we're going to have some announcements, and then we're going to eat our meal, then we're going to have our time of presentation. But I want to pray right now. Would you bow with your heads and pray with me? And here's what I want to pray. If you're here and you've not trusted Christ as Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer, a similar prayer I prayed at 16. And don't pray this prayer as a religious ritual. I'm talking about pray this prayer in the sense of maybe God has showed you your sin and rebellion, that you deserve hell, you deserve his judgment. But God's doing something, and you know it. You can pray this prayer in your own soul with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've chosen my own way. I'm a liar. I'm a luster. I covet I murder people in my heart. I worship idols. I won't even rest in you. I I blasphemy your name. I know I'm a sinner. I deserve your judgment. But thank you that 2,000 years ago on the cross, you took the judgment and punishment my sins deserve. Jesus, would you be my Lord and my King and my Savior? Thank you for dying for my sins. Give me eternal life. I trust in you and you alone for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.